I hope that you do um, read it regularly. Tonight we're going to pick up from 1 Peter, and um, we're in chapter 2. So I'm going to read from chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. Peter, obviously you know one of the disciples uh, who writes this letter to um, new Christians, particularly Gentile Christians uh, who have become followers of Jesus. And he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's just pray. Father, when we read your word, we're just so grateful that we have it in our hands, in our own language. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that this book is precious to us. It reveals who you are. It reveals who we are. And I thank you, Lord, that um, even if people seek to ban it and destroy it, your people find a way to get this book in their hands. Because it's a book that points to you, Lord Jesus, and gives life. And so we pray even tonight that as we read this passage, as we study it together, you would speak to each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever walked in on a group of family or friends um, who are partway through watching a film? Ever had that happen to you? And uh, you've decided to join them. It's not always easy, is it? It's happened over Christmas. We had Karis and Steve with us, and they'd gone out for a drink in the town, and they came back, and we were watching No Country for Old Men, if you've not seen it. It's a good film, but um, it comes with a sort of health warning with it. And anyway, Steve, Karis had seen the film before, so she was up with the plot. Steve had no idea, had never seen the film before, so we had to begin to explain the plot so far, okay, so he could catch up, okay? Ever, ever had that experience? None of you, oh dear. What a terrible illustration, it doesn't apply to anybody. You need someone to explain the story so far, otherwise you watch the rest of the film and you have no idea what's going on, okay? And so, in a similar way, Uh, What Peter is doing in this passage is filling in some of the background story for the new believers that he's writing to, okay? And many of these believers are from a Gentile background, so they won't have had 
any knowledge so much of the Old Testament, of the scriptures as uh, Peter calls them. And he actually quotes from the Old Testament four times, you know, in this. But he wants them to understand that they're, they're part of a bigger story. And that's something that happens to us when we become Christians. Um, whether you come to Christ from no background at all, and suddenly you're in, you're in this amazing place. You, you know you're loved by Jesus. He's died for your sins. You're saved. You have eternal life. But you have no knowledge of the bigger story. And someone needs to fill in the bigger story. That happens on Alpha sometimes. From people, you know, they come on Alpha and suddenly the bigger picture gets filled in. Others, I, I w- was brought up in the Christian home. I, I knew the basics of faith uh, from very tiny, but I'd rejected it. But I know that when I became a Christian, suddenly everything that I'd been taken, you know, heard as a, as a child suddenly made sense. And uh, I remember the first thing I did as be- becoming a Christian, I read the whole Bible. I'd never read the whole Bible before. I'm amazed I still meet Christians who've never read the Bible. <laughs> How does that happen? You know, I, I understand if you haven't got one, but we're in a privileged position where we have Again, if you've never read the Bible, no guilt there. Um, but it's good. I encourage you to do that. So Peter tells his readers that we're partway through a much bigger story. We step in. When we become Christians, we step in to a bigger story. In this wonderful chapter one, similarly uh, to Paul in Ephesians, Peter just gets lost in praise. It's just the most wonderful passage, chapter 1. And uh, that has been offered to us in Jesus Christ, the living hope and the wonder of it all. It's amazing. But in chapter 2, he wants those new believers to know that they are God's people, that they belong to God. They are God's temple, God's kingdom, God's priesthood. And those words may have seemed a little bit unfamiliar to them. They've become followers of Jesus, but he says that they are God's people, God's temple, God's kingdom, God's priesthood. And he begins to fill in a bit of the backstory for them. So the first thing that he says is that we're stepping into his own story, Peter's story. That if we're followers of Jesus, we, we, we step into his experience as well. I'm not sure how much of the readers would have known of Peter's testimony. They wouldn't have had the Gospels that we have yet when uh, Peter writes this. They may have had snippets. They may have had a bit of oral testimony. But we're in that privileged position. We know a lot about Peter. If, if someone were to ask you about the disciples of Jesus, probably one of the first ones you'd be able to name was Simon Peter. And you'd be able to say a little bit about him. He was a fisherman. He was a Jew. He was a leader. Obviously a leader because he merges in that group as as one of the leaders of that group. We know he's impetuous and he's inspired. We know that he likes to open his mouth before he thinks. Because one minute he can say to Jesus, yes, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And the next he contradicts Jesus and rebukes him for talking about going to the cross. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, you know, that kind of thing. One minute he nods with all the other disciples when Jesus is talking about turning the other cheek. And then the next minute he's lopping someone's ear off with a sword. One minute he promises to stand by Jesus to the very end, even if everyone else disowns him and 
next minute he's disowning. We know the we know the story of Peter, and he's probably the disciple we most relate with, if we think about. It. And we know that his name was Simon, and we know that Jesus called him Peter. It wasn't something that Simon said. Oh, I'd prefer Pete. I prefer Peter. It's a better name, isn't it? You know, than Simon. No, it was Jesus gave him the name Peter. And that means rock. And Jesus talks about Simon Peter as this is the kind of faith, this is the kind of person who Jesus could build his kingdom with. And so it's quite striking when we read this passage that Peter the rock calls Jesus the stone, the cornerstone. In some ways, Peter might be just admitting that Jesus is the center of it all and on which all the rocks get built on. And Peter was a transformed man. Transformed by Jesus, transformed by the resurrection of Jesus, certainly transformed by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter in this passage calls Jesus the living stone, building his kingdom. And so he writes to these believers, these early Gentile believers and say, you you have experienced what I've experienced. I met Jesus and he changed my life and now he is building his kingdom with us. Secondly, it reminds the readers that we're stepping into the story of God's temple. You know, for the Jews, the temple was everything. A symbol of God's presence, God dwelling in the temple. And and Peter says, you're you're part of that story as well. Jesus, he sees as the fulfillment of the temple, the presence of God, the sacrifices. And these three verses that he quotes from the Old Testament, he quotes from Isaiah 28, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And to us who believe, Peter says, this stone is precious. I wish Karis was here because uh, she's got a great imitation of Gollum. You know, the precious. I can't do it, but she does. To us who believe, this stone is precious. How precious is Jesus to us? He means everything to us. But to those who do not believe, there is a warning. Because this stone that is precious to us has been rejected. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's from Psalm 118. And then from Isaiah 8, Peter quotes, the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall is Jesus. And I always find that quite astonishing that Jesus would be a stumbling block to people. When you look at his life and you look at what he said... Why should he be a stumbling block? It's because of who he is. I've met people who, who would say they believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus. It's impossible. Jesus is God in the flesh. In a way, it's kind of, we'd be happy with something that you can't define that makes no demands on us, that there's something bigger than us and out there. But Jesus actually puts edges on God and he says, 
If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. It's the center of our faith that we believe that God came himself in Jesus to rescue this broken and lost world. Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation stone, but he is also a stone that causes people to fall. And Peter talks about this foundation stone of this temple made up of living stones, that we are living stones. God's architecture is biological and spiritual. And I had kind of forgotten that actually Jesus quotes uh, Psalm 118 uh, in one of his parables. And I was taken back to Matthew uh, 21. And Jesus, in the context of his teaching, he's teaching in the temple courts. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are listening to Jesus. And he tells them a number of parables. And and the one that he does tell that references this passage is the parable of the tenants. And he actually asks them, the teachers of the law, he says in verse 42 of Matthew 21, have you ever read Psalm 118? They were the teachers of the law. They knew their Old Testament. He says, have you ever read it? The parable talks about a landowner who plants a vineyard and he rents it out to farmers. And when it comes time to collect the harvest and bring in the fruit, he sends out servants. And when the tenants see the servants, they say, well, let's beat them up. We don't want to give what we have back. Let's beat them up. So they beat them up. They stone the servants. And then the story goes on. And the owner of the vineyard says, then I will send my son. Surely they will respect my son. And Jesus tells the story how the tenants see the son and they say, Let's kill the son. Because if we kill the heir, it'll all be ours. And Jesus says, what will the owner do? He will give the vineyard to other tenants. The kingdom will be given to others who produce the kingdom fruits. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law knew exactly who Jesus was aiming the story at. Them. And Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom will go to others because you have rejected the son who came. And you know their response if you read the end of that parable? They say, let's kill Jesus. Fulfilling the parable that Jesus has just told. It's quite incredible. And Jesus quotes uh, that passage from Psalm 18. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so Peter writes to these Gentile believers and says, you're part of the story that I'm part of. And you're part of the story of the temple because Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. And you are being built into a spiritual house. Then thirdly, Peter reminds his readers that they're stepping into the story of Israel. Peter has come to believe that all the promises to Israel have been fulfilled in Jesus. 
that Jesus is the true Israel, that he succeeds where Israel fails. And again, he quotes from the Old Testament, from Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, where there's a kind of mission statement over Israel there in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when they come out of slavery. And God says, if you keep my covenant, then out of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These were so important to the Jewish nation, to to the Jews, these verses. And Peter, a Jew, addresses it to the church. What does he call the church? God's chosen people. God's royal priesthood. God's holy nation. God's special possession. The people of God. It isn't hard to see why the Jewish leaders had Peter arrested, tried to kill him. Now, make no mistake, Peter is not saying that the church replaces Israel. It's not what he's saying. He is saying that Jesus is the true fulfillment of that, all the Old Testament promises, and that that story carries on. We know that as Christians, as Gentile believers, or those who are coming to Christ from a Muslim background that we were hearing about this morning, that we don't know the number of Muslims who are coming to faith in Christ. They are joining that story. It goes back from the very beginning. We have the story in this book, and we're part of that story. And the Jews can choose to step out of it by rejecting the Messiah. And the Gentiles can step into it by accepting him. And in fact, all who accept and receive Jesus are stepping into that story. The fulfillment of which will come when Jesus comes again. And we know from the teaching of Paul that God hasn't finished with the Jews yet. We don't know how he's going to work that out. But he almost hints that when, when all the Gentiles have been gathered in, then there will be a move of God amongst the, toward the end times. So we're part of that story as well. And then Peter finally reminds his readers that they've stepped into God's story. In fact, it's all God's story. All of history is his story. The whole of creation and recreation. When we became believers in Jesus, we stepped into this story of recreation. We've been born again. We've got this new life. We're forgiven. We're accepted. We have eternal life as a gift. And we are going to inherit all of that. We are going to spend eternity in the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. This physical, new, wonderful creation that Jesus will make. It is not going to be this ethereal floating around. and It will be a physical, new heaven and a new earth. We are called into the story of God. Why a royal priesthood? Why a holy nation? Because Jesus calls those who follow him that we're all priests. We are a royal priesthood. We tend to make a mistake and separate, oh, they're the priests and we're the the laity or whatever the terms are. 
The Bible teaches that all believers are priests. All believers are saints. I always get annoyed and shout at the telly when someone is made a saint. and say, I'm a saint. We're all saints. The Bible says believers in Jesus are saints. Because of Jesus. We are royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God. We are an army of missionaries and witnesses sent out with the authority of Jesus to go into the whole world and make disciples. The people of God. And this wonderful phrase that Peter uses, that we are God's special possession. It's what reminded me of Gollum and the Precious. In Greek, the word means private treasure collection of ancient kings. You know, they probably have this private collection that no one else saw. This is their treasure, their treasured possession. And God says, that's you and me. We're his treasured possession. I bet, how many of you thought, of, you know, woke up this morning, I'm God's treasured possession. You are. The Bible says it's true. Whenever you think, well, I'm not worth much, or I'm not up to much, or what does so-and-so think about me, or, you know, what does God think about me? You're his treasured possession. You are precious to him. We are part of God's story, the unfolding of his plans, the coming of his kingdom. We only see a glimpse However many years we live on this earth and however many years that you follow Jesus, we see this tiny glimpse of what God is doing. We're we're part of that amazing story. He has written us into his story. Our names are in the book of life. We've been written into his story. It's wonderful, isn't it? You know those children's books that you buy that you can personalize and put your children's name in them and they read the story and then suddenly, my my name in the book. We're in the book. Our names are in the book. God's written our names in the book. We're included because of Jesus. So we may have joined the story partway through, but this is the wonder of it. We're invited to see it through to the end. We're invited to go right to the end with God, and he has promised to be with us all the way. Invited to the end when we see Jesus come in all his glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when every eye will see him. Imagine that. Have you ever tried to figure that one out? Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will see that day. Whether we're seeing it from up there or whether we're seeing it from here, we get to see it. So Peter writes to these group of believers to encourage them in their faith because the pressure is coming on them. Persecution is about to hit them really hard. And he wants to remind them of the glorious gospel. He wants to remind them of who they are in God so that when the pressure comes and not on the circumstances. And maybe we too just need to be reminded again and again of who we are in Jesus and the truth that we shall see him as he is on that day when he comes in glory. We are part of his amazing story. Let's pray. I'm going to invite Tim and the band to come. Father, we thank you for your words and we thank you that